Nathaniel, and Jesus saw Nathaniel underneath a fig tree, and so we described Jesus as the God who sees, as the one who um, understands and perceives our heart. Maybe you feel alone, maybe you're, you can be in a crowd and you can uh, not feel like anybody sees what you're going through, and, and so a few weeks ago that's what we talked about was Jesus is the one who sees you, uh, and how he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. Last week we talked about how disciples... Um, follow Jesus. Disciples have uh, a more uh, committed following of Jesus. Uh, And so today we want to kind of tie those two messages together with this one idea. Uh, I want to show you a God who not only sees you and who not only calls you to follow Him, but a God who responds to you when you express sincere faith. A God who responds to your sincere faith. So I'm just going to walk you through what we're going to talk about over the next um, hour and a half. Never gets old. I'm just kidding. Um, For the next 20 minutes or so, uh, what it takes. It often takes a crisis. It often takes chaos. It often takes those kinds of things to bring about sincere faith. Uh, Look quickly at verse 21 of of Mark chapter 5. You see that there was chaos. There was a huge crowd. Um, there was a lot of people pressing against him. The text even said they were thronging about him. The disciples said, you see all these people pressing in closely to you. So this uh, sort of crowd, this chaos, this confusion, it often takes that to bring us to a point of sincere faith. So we see the crowd, we see the chaos, we see the crisis in Jairus. We see the crisis in this woman who has a medical issue. Uh, If you look at verse 23, Jairus implored, he fell on his feet, uh, fell at Jesus' feet on his knees, earnestly pleading with Jesus. Uh, And then Jesus responded to them. Look at verse 34 and 36 briefly. He said, uh, your faith has made you well to the woman. Uh, And to Jairus, when they told him his daughter died, he said, um, just believe. Right, hang on to faith. And so I just want to show you this morning that not only does God see you, not only does He call you to follow Him, uh, but God also responds to your sincere faith. He responds to your sincere faith. Uh, so we're going to unpack that in just a minute. But let me just start by asking you this. What circumstances would cause you to cry out to God? Can you think of anything? What circumstances would cause you to raise your voice? What conditions would you have to be under where you fell to your knees in public, maybe? Or maybe you raised your hands and you cried out to God. Can you think of any condition? Can you think of any crisis? Can you think of any circumstances that would literally cause you to fall down on your knees and to cry out to God? To express with your whole body, with your voice, with your mind, with your will, with everything you have to cry out to God in such a way that, uh, that demonstrated desperation. I can think of a handful of times in my life that I've done this. Can you think of any? Raise your hand if you can think of something that has caused you to come to a point where you cried out, right? A lot of us have. A lot of us have come to that. It often takes that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, uh, many of you remember exactly where you were. Uh, I boarded a plane at 6 o'clock in the morning in Oklahoma City. Uh, it had originated in Dallas, 
stopped in Oklahoma City, picked up me and a dozen other uh, ministers as we were heading to Chicago uh, for a ministerial conference. And um, somewhere over Missouri, um, all the planes started to hit the towers and um, all those different things started to take place. And so they grounded our flight. Our flight actually happened to be the last one grounded uh, over U.S. airspace in St. Louis. Um, and as we landed, the pilot said they haven't told us what's happening, uh, but he said you probably will start to see news reports on your phones, and you may know before we know. And sure enough, our phones started to buzz, and we started to see everything was, that was happening. Uh, the towers, we, as we landed, the second tower was hit. Um, all of this sort of chaos was ensuing all around our nation, and we were on a tarmac in St. Louis. Uh, and I'll never forget when the... the 20 minutes or 25 minutes or so, um, uh, a few Humvees pulling a, a, a rail, a stairwell, pulled up to our plane and we deplaned and were escorted by uh, 15 or 20 troops with um, assault gear and rifles and they visually inspected us and ran us with all of our packages and bags right there on the tarmac. We had to get all of our stuff and run through the airport, and it was chaos. There were people everywhere, and as we were running through the airport, uh, our only hope was to get a rental car um, and to make our way to a safe place outside of there, this airport. And I'll never forget, as we were running through the airport, um, all the chaos, all the crowd, all the people, no one was really speaking. Um, there was grief. There were more planes crashing. Uh, everything was going wrong. Uh, we couldn't get phone signals and everything. And in all this, your senses are sort of heightened uh, and you're hypersensitive to everything that's happening around you. And I'll never forget just running through the airport and looking over and seeing a woman on her knees screaming, just screaming at the top of her voice um, with her hands up and a baby in a, uh, a car seat and another one in a stroller. And she's just on her knees wailing saying, where are you, God? Where are you? And I'll never forget that snapshot of just seeing this picture and running through and seeing other people crying, no one attending to this woman, everybody running, everything uh, going in in chaos and craziness. And I've often replayed that scene in my mind thinking, whatever happened to that woman? And often, not always, but, but occasionally you will see people in desperate circumstances uh, with some sort of uh, personal crisis, whether it's a self-inflicted crisis or whether it's a, a national crisis like September 11th was, maybe it's a, a health crisis, some sort of crisis and chaos and confusion, all of those things sort of blend together to make the perfect storm that brings us to a place where we experience a different kind of faith. Do you know what I mean? Not sort of your run-of-the-mill faith, I hope that this happens, but the kind of faith that brings you to a position where your body is arrested uh, and your voice cries out to God in such a way that if He doesn't intervene now, then you will likely never circle back around to faith in God again. That's the kind of faith 
that these sort of crises bring us to. Now, you may have experienced a crisis like that personally. There may have been a time in your life when you've cried out to God in desperation and, and you've experienced the response of a God who sees and responds to your sincere faith. For others of you in the room, you've not yet come to that point. Hopefully many of our children who are listening haven't ever come to that point, and you can just sort of file this sermon away until you're 22 and you're in college, uh, and, and maybe the point is coming where you have to either move back into your parents' basement or go get a job, or maybe you want to get married, or maybe something has taken over your life during these college years or something. But you kind of file this sermon away and remember that a God responds to sincere faith. So as we sort of process this sermon, I want you to see something beautiful about Jesus. Jesus responds to, not only does He see you in crisis moments, not only does He often allow crisis moments to come about in your life, but He uses crisis moments to evoke sincere faith out of you. Sincere is a wonderful word. Uh, It's two words together. Sin meaning without, sere meaning wax. And it was used in the Middle Ages, it was developed in the Middle Ages, that if you were to sell a piece of furniture and it had dings and um, damage to the woodwork, they would often take wax and they would rub it into the, the bad spots on the wood so that when they presented it, um, it was appearing flawless. Uh, but if you didn't have a trained eye, you would look at it from a distance, you would say it's, it's a perfect piece, but it was filled with wax. Uh, sincere came to mean without wax. It is presented as it is. It is presented as it is. Not many of us come to a place of sincere faith. A faith without wax. A faith without any facade, without any Sunday school answer. A place when, when only Jesus can respond to you with only what you lay bare in your soul. Right? There aren't many crises that come about in your life like that. But I want you to know that when you come to that crisis, and it evokes a sincere faith, there is a Jesus who stands ready to respond to you. Look at Matthew, I mean uh, Mark chapter 5 and verse 21 that Stephanie read earlier. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, there was a great crowd that gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death." Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus starts to go with him. I want you to see really clearly that sincere faith is often preceded by incredible crisis. You know this guy, Jairus, is a synagogue ruler. It's the equivalent to what you would see me as, as the local pastor of just a local uh, fellowship of uh, Jewish believers, and they would gather every Sabbath, Saturday. Uh, the synagogue ruler would ask someone to come up and read, and they would have a scroll, and someone would greet, and someone would, and there would be guest teachers, and he was sort of the shepherd of a small group of Jews in a small town, 
Um, and we know that when Jesus' ministry began to take off, he went and he visited all the synagogues. Jesus was likely in Jairus' synagogue and had likely taught and had likely preached. But there wasn't anything about that occasion, possibly, that caused Jairus to fall at Jesus' knees and to cry out to him. Something changed. What was it? It was a pressure point. It was a pressure point. It was a moment uh, when Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was sick and at the brink of death. Now listen, in Jewish culture, they often brought in professional wailers. uh, People who were um, professionals at wailing and crying and evoking emotion. And the idea behind it, some commentators think, is that these professional wailers would come in to sort of ramp up the emotional response in hopes that God might respond. So the wailers were already there. We learned they they are there because at the end you see uh, at the end of the passage they are saying why bother the teacher anymore your daughter is dead uh, and and there were people wailing and crying all around in this situation something happened listen there's not many times that I'll wake up in the middle of the night um, but it often is directly triggered by a dream or some fear that something has happened to one of my children anybody can I, can anybody identify with that. That something happens to somebody you love in a dream, or something that will wake me up quicker than anything else, and and I'll immediately kind of walk around and check on the kids, right, uh, and look around. This is the kind of thing that if some crisis were to take place in your life, it would bring you to this point of faith. Something happened. Something. It took this level of crisis to bring Jairus to his knees. And just imagine that situation. Thousands upon thousands of people flocking to Jesus as the boat lands. He's just been across the sea and he's just delivered a man uh, known as the demoniac, right, who had a legion of demons in him. And the disciples had rowed the boat back over to the uh, Jewish side of the lake of Gennesaret. And as they're approaching Throngs of people are seeing him and they're starting to gather. So many people that Jairus now runs and he makes his way and presents himself before Jesus. And in front of thousands of people, he is on his knees crying out, imploring Jesus, pleading with him on his knees, please come with me. Jesus responds. Jesus responds to his sincere faith. It says Jesus went with him. Look at verse 24. As he goes with him, It says, a great crowd followed him, and they thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood. We read that. Twelve years she had suffered. And she had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. This sort of crisis that triggered, imagine what prompted this crisis in this woman's life to be medically untouchable. No one could heal her. She spent all of her money. According to Leviticus 15, this woman was perpetually rendered unclean. She could not touch other people and other people could not touch her according to Leviticus 15 and Leviticus 21 because she was unclean. 
She was regarded in the same context as a leper. Her own children wouldn't have been able to touch her. Her own uh, friends and family, no one could be around her. This um, 12-year endurance of this woman brought her to a place where she didn't care about the crowds. She likely touched many people as she was crawling through the crowds, hoping to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Sincere faith is often preceded by incredible crisis. Can you think of a crisis that brought you to a point of sincere faith? Hopefully, uh, there will be a time that you will experience a crisis that brings you to sincere faith. Maybe a terrible thing to say. But when we consider that eternity is long and life is short, there's no greater prayer that you can pray for your loved ones that they would experience the kind of crisis that brings them to sincere faith. You see, our natural response would be, Lord, no, don't don't bring them through a crisis. But oftentimes, God allows crisis to inflict us so that we may come to faith. I was reminded of Cindy this morning. Uh, Many of our families are out this morning and they're walking in Hapro uh, for a breast cancer walk. Uh, Just eight months ago, Cindy, a member of our church, went home to be with the Lord. It was 21 months before that day she passed in October that she got the diagnosis that she had breast cancer. And she visited Ridgeline with a friend, with uh, Ariel. In the process of her diagnosis, she uh, began to meet with me and uh, began to meet with Ariel and began to listen to sermons and began to participate. And over the course of that 21 months uh, and going through chemotherapy and going through treatments and going through all these things, uh, Cindy gave her life to, to Jesus. And as I did her funeral in, uh, in November, uh, I reflected on the acute pain that she had to go through to bring her to faith. Now, Cindy had a sister that had passed away a few years earlier. Uh, Cindy had a life that was difficult and uh, her sister struggled. And through the death of her sister, through the diagnosis, uh, through the chemo treatments, all those things, it took that much crisis for her to be ultimately healed and made new and given new life in Christ and a promise of eternity. We may consider that cruel on this side of eternity, but think about where she is today. As I had the joy of standing at her funeral reading passages that she highlighted, Romans 5, that Jesus died in reconciliation for her sins, that she had believed in Him, having video of her worshiping and leading us in worship, It often takes an incredible crisis to bring people to a point of faith. I want you to see a second thing. Sincere faith is expressed through action. A crisis brings you to sincere faith, and that sincere faith is often expressed through action, and it's often pride-defying, risky action. Right? Right? Imagine what it would take for a ruler of a synagogue, a local respected man. Uh, It was 
um, unnatural in that culture for a man to to demonstrate this sort of um, pride-wrecking humility, that he would bow before another man in front of a crowd, wailing, crying earnestly, pleading with him, imploring him to come with him. This sincere faith is expressed through risky, pride-defying action. The woman crawling through a crowd of people. Often, probably uh, her medical condition um, not being able to be hidden. This was an embarrassing, difficult thing. And yet, her sincere faith was expressed through this risky action. What condition would cause you to go to great risk? To crush your pride? To acknowledge your need for Jesus, to acknowledge your need for Jesus. The woman demonstrated this amazing risk. Jairus demonstrated an amazing humility and risk to express their sincere faith. The last thing I want you to see about who Jesus is and about this sincere faith is that sincere faith gets the immediate attention of Jesus. Sincere faith gets the immediate response of Jesus. Listen, I mean, you saw the situation. He is uh, with the crowd. The crowd is amped up and enthusiastic because they're going to see a miracle. They had just been fed um, earlier in the week by Jesus, 5,000 people. And Jesus broke bread, five loaves and two fish, and had fed them. He just went over to the other side of the sea and cast out um, a legion of demons from a demoniac. People are running around the shoreline of this lake to see where Jesus is and to see where He's going because they are so enthusiastic about what He's done. The crowds are thronging against Him. Uh, There are three times that this passage, uh, this same idea is used where it's a great crowd, a thronging crowd. Um, In chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus has to get into a boat so the crowd doesn't crush Him. In verse 31 of chapter 5, the disciples remark, don't you see the crowd? And yet you're going to ask us who touched you? All of these crowds are packing into Jesus. And yet Jairus gets his full attention. But even more amazing than that is that this woman touches the edge of his garment. And Jesus is immediately stopped. Look at verse 28. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus stopped, verse 30, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. And immediately he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to, me, said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Isn't this an unusual circumstance? And the woman, knowing that she couldn't hide it any longer, came in fear and trembling, and she fell down before him. And she told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. The last thing I want to clarify is that sincere faith, there's confusion about faith, right? 
There's confusion about faith. A lot of times you'll see uh, on TV uh, preachers who will preach a false gospel and they will say that if you, if you can just sort of well up enough sincere faith within you that you can just sort of name and claim anything that you want, right? And so if you want to have kind of your best life now or if you want to have like a raise or if you want to have a better car or a better house or all you have to do is just sort of emotionally work up enough faith as though faith is a substance that you can produce within yourself. And then Jesus sort of becomes the means to your end. Right? Jesus isn't the end of your faith, but He's just the, the go-between, the one who has the power to... He's like the genie, right? You rub Him the right way and you say the right things and you well up enough faith that He'll be the one that gives you your wildest dreams and all this kind of... You know, this is not unusual to you. People come to Jesus like this all the time. You know people who want something, ultimately. And what they want ultimately is not God, it's not Jesus, it's not to walk and to be a follower of Christ. They they want something else, and they see Jesus as a viable means to their end. A legitimate way that they can get something. This is not sincere faith. This is not the faith. Faith is not something that you well up. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that your faith, uh, if it can be the size of a mustard seed, right? If it can be the size of a mustard seed. Last June when I was walking um, along the Sea of Galilee, uh, their tour guide pointed out a mustard seed plant. Uh, and, and we picked it up, and it was so small. Um, I put it in my mouth. It, it had a very strong taste. It was a, amazing how small it was, and it packed such a, uh, an amazing um, flavor in such a small thing. And as we sat there and looked at it, we read the passage that if your faith is as small as this mustard seed, Jesus is clearing up this idea that you have in yourself um, uh, varying levels of faith. Faith is just faith. And you don't have to well up within you an emotional response to get Jesus' attention. But faith will produce an action in you. So I want you to see that faith is not something that you have to stockpile to get more of so that you can get what you want. That's not the way this works. Faith is just simply faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that it is without faith it's impossible to please God. Um, we learn uh, in another of the epistles that, that uh, we, as we come to Him, the one who we can't see, the very, the very act of you praying a prayer demonstrates mustard seed faith. That you're willing to talk to something that you, someone you can't see. That you're willing to believe in something that you can't grasp. Forgiveness, eternity, uh, reconciliation, redemption. God, He often uh, invites us to walk with Him by faith rather than proving everything to us on the front end. I often wonder what happened to that woman who cried out that day in the St. Louis airport. That great crisis brought her to a point where she was crying out to God. You know, Romans 10, 9-10 says that if you cry out to the Lord, He will save you. This is the idea of being brought to a point of sincere faith. So how can you apply this passage today? How can you apply this? I want you to, I want you to make application in this way. I want you to make application in this way. Do you, 
Do you notice people? Uh, do you observe people in your life who are experiencing crisis? I'll never forget the time that Julie and me and my mom were sitting around talking about something, and my mom brought something up, and I can't even remember what we were talking about. And she just started to tear up and to cry about, I'm such a jerk, about whatever she was talking about. How terrible am I? I don't even know what she's talking about. I'm just, I just moved on and started talking about something else. And I feel like, a, I don't know if Julie like elbowed me or stomped on my, she did something to, to like get my attention. I looked at my mom and I see her crying. And I just thought that was something wonderful about Julie. She was observant. She noticed she noticed my mother. She noticed emotion. She noticed the moment. She felt that. There have been a hundred times when we had just gone and spent time with my sister and her boyfriend. And after leaving, maybe the next day my wife said something. It was fun to spend time with Lisa. I said, who's Lisa? Who are you talking about? Your sister. I don't know what happens to me. I don't know where my mind is, but I've not been great at noticing people. Do you notice people? Julie does a great job of being observant and seeing the conditions and being able to perceive when something is taking place deeper in someone. Do you have that ability, that empathy? Listen, I want you to, when you see people in crisis, I don't just mean people watching. I mean, do you notice people? How many times have you been in pain or difficulty or trouble and someone texts you or emails you or calls you at just the right moment? Has that ever happened to you? Anybody else? Where, where someone will call you and say, hey, you just came to mind. And I can't explain why, but I'm thinking about you today and I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do for you? Anything going on? This is the kind of thing that I want you to do, to notice people, uh, to develop this sort of Holy Spirit sensitivity that is perceptive, especially when people are in crisis. Especially when people are in crisis. This is, you are often the answer. You are often the, the hands and the feet. When Jesus notices someone expressing sincere faith and crying out to him, Develop this idea where you are empathetic, you have empathy toward people and you notice them. The second thing I want you to to do um, in response to this message is when you see people in crisis, recognize that that often evokes sincere faith, bringing them to a point of desperation. And this isn't a bad thing. Oftentimes we demonstrate a gift of mercy and we want to rescue people out of trouble. Does anybody else ever feel that way? Julie's so good. Again, I'll brag on you. Sometimes our kids, they would cry and I would, I would sit in the room. She would walk in and say, what are you doing? I'm just sitting here. The kid's crying on the floor, crying, just crying on a blanket. And just pick, pick it up and I comfort it. Right? Don't just sit... I'm just kind of I'm just watching. I'm just observing. The kid cried, you know. But that's often our our knee jerk reaction is to rescue anybody as soon as they feel the slightest bit of discomfort, right? 
As soon as the, the first whimper comes out, as soon as the cry comes out, we want to we rescue people, right? This is a beautiful gift that God has given a lot of people. But there are times when we can short-circuit the work of God or rescue people that God is trying to afflict. <laughs> it takes some discernment for you to know that there is a crisis that will produce sincere faith. And rather than stepping in and short-circuiting that process, allow God to do His work. Allow that crisis to bring that person to a point where they're ready to respond or to cry out. It's a difficult thing to do. Finally, I want you just to see how, um, maybe just to love Jesus in the way that He responds to people. Isn't this a beautiful passage? This woman... I can't imagine suffering the way she suffered for so many years. But seeing the reward of her suffering and the reward of her faith, coming to that moment when Jesus responded to her in such a beautiful way that gave her dignity. She came in fear and trembling and falling at His feet. And Jesus so gently and kindly just lifted her face and her countenance, gave her hope gave her healing, encouraged her in front of everybody, stopped the entire procession and responded to this woman. Then as soon as that interruption that Jesus uh, spotlighted this woman in the middle of this thing, he, he went with Jairus and he said, now listen, now, this isn't over for you either. Even though he just got the news that his daughter was dead, he went with Jairus and he sent everybody out and he healed his daughter. You see, in this moment, we see Jesus responding to sincere faith with love and with all the compassion of a parent who loves his children. And if that doesn't produce some affection in your heart toward Jesus, then maybe you haven't come to a place where you've experienced Jesus in that way. I know many of you have. You've experienced a God who responds to your cries for help. So I just want us to love Jesus and to notice people and to pray in this way and to see this about who He is. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for the way in which You respond to us. We thank You for the way in which You allow crisis to come into our life. We thank You for the way in which You allow difficult circumstances and terrible conditions and all those things to come about so that we may experience new life that it produces. Lord, it's my prayer that if someone is experiencing crisis today in this room, if someone is experiencing crisis, maybe they're listening uh, online or, or maybe... Now, years down the road, you'll remind somebody about this message. I pray, God, that when they need you the most, that when their crisis brings them to a place where they're willing to express pride-defying, risky action to cry out to you in faith, I pray that you would respond in the way that you always respond when your children cry out. Lord Jesus, may we see 
more people experience you in this way. And may we as your followers lovingly come alongside people in crisis. And may we pray for their sincere faith that they may experience life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.